0: Welcome back, everyone, to Intersectional Conversations. I am really, really excited to introduce to you guys someone very special today, who is my special, special guest. And of course, this is part of our new series. Aquí estamos. We're here. So everybody, please welcome Jessica, the founder of Minority Tea Weekly. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Today, we will be discussing her project Minority Tea Weekly, which you can find on Instagram, which has many resources for first-generation students, students of color, women of color, um, and discussions that you will probably want to get into, and other resources, which you will talk about. I won't go into it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to tell everyone about Minority Weekly. I'm super passionate about this project, so yeah. I'm happy to talk to you about it.
0: Yeah, Thank you, Jessica, for being here with us today. I was really happy that you agreed. And I'm so excited to share everything that you've been sharing because some of your IGTVs or your lives are so good.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I get really excited to talk about, you know, all the topics that I cover on my page. So that would be great. I'm excited to be here.
0: So before we do that, of course, you already know where I'm going. I'm going to plug in the magazine. If you haven't checked out the magazine, please go check it out at LatinaChicaSpeaksMagazine.com, where we have various categories, including recipes for keto diets, including... um, Mexican Cuisine's Influenced by Keto um, Restrictions. Um, Also check out social justice um, articles such as the photography of Edgar Ibarria, who does a really great job in LA. You can also check out other things that we do, including the podcast. So click on podcast. We have more than one show, um, but this one is definitely one that's picking up a lot of steam. So we're really happy about it. Um, you can also check out this podcast Instagram page at Intersectional Convos, or you can check us out on Twitter at Intersect Convos, and you can email us directly at intersectionalconversations at gmail.com. Jessica, do you want to tell them where they can find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at
1: Minority Weekly. Um, so Minority is spelled M I n-o-r-i-t-e-a minority Mm -hmm. underscore get that t girl (laughs) yeah um and that's really the only platform you can find minority weekly currently i am hoping Mm -hmm. to expand very soon but you can (laughs) you can also email me at jesschavez99 at
0: gmail.com perfect you ready to start i'm ready So to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where did you grow up and what led you to start this page or this project? Of course, um,
1: I like to call it a project, I think. Yes, (laughs) So my name is Jessica, uh, Jessica Chavez. I am Hispanic. Um, My parents were born in Mexico and they are immigrants. They came here um, when they were in their early teens. Um, and so I've grown up here in the Central Valley of California, um, currently living in the Turlock area, anybody is from there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm also just about to wrap up my undergrad. I'm about to graduate with my BA in Sociology. Yay! Yay! Thank you. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: I go to CSU Stanislaus. Um, Okay. That's something exciting. I'm finishing up college, um. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. And then as far as Minority Weekly, I'm super passionate about that project. Um, I'm very excited that it's been steadily growing over the past couple of months. Um yes. I started Minority Weekly in February, February 13th. I'm looking at my phone right now to see like... <laughs> You're like the exact yeah. date. Yeah, I started it February 13th. So um, at this time that we're recording this, it's been... A couple of months.
0: months, yeah, yeah. Like months. Yes. Um. Yeah. Can you it, believe it? No. Like, <laughs> Did it go I, fast for you?
1: Yes, it went really fast. I first of all, I didn't think the page would grow at all. Oh um, no. Yeah, I was like, oh, just for fun, you know. I think it could be good, uh, for me personally. But now that it's been like, because it's been steadily growing over the past yes. few months, so I'm mm-hmm. super excited about it. Um, yeah. And on Minority Weekly, you can find just regular um, posts. But I also do IGTVs and Reels. And I have this thing going called um, Minority Features. So people send in, like, their profiles or someone that they know that they want yeah. featured on Minority Weekly. So I do that as well.
0: So a little bit more about what you do. So what kind of resources do you feel you offer on your page with these different um you know, mediums, including the IGTV, the Reels, the posts. Um, what, do you, what do you feel you're offering or what do you want to offer? What's your goal? Well, with Minority Weekly, first of all, I started it That's
1: because okay. I was really passionate about um, seeing more representation on social media, um, mm-hmm. on different topics that I'm interested in, like mental health and education. Um, yeah. also social issues, which is what I post about on Minority Weekly. Um, all three of those things, as well as um personal growth. Um,
0: yeah,
1: so let me backtrack to when I first started Minority <laughs> Weekly. Um, I started seeing other pages, um, like Brown Girl Therapy and Brown Girl, Trump.
0: yes,
1: and this was on my personal account. I started like seeing their posts and people resharing them. And every time I saw their posts, I was like, that, like, resonates with me. Like, I can relate to that. And I felt, like, kind of validated by their posts because they talk a lot about, like, being a child of immigrants and generational trauma and just experiences as minorities. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've never seen anybody talk about this
0: on social media Mm -hmm. Um, or in our lives right when we're in the university nobody walks around really freely talking about these things yeah
1: and I I thought it was really cool to see that on Instagram and I also thought it was really cool that I could really relate to these um pages and they're run by girls who are not my same they don't come from my same background and they don't have my same ethnicity Uh uh-huh yes I could relate to them so much and I thought that was crazy and I just started thinking about how, as minorities, we have so much in common, and we go through a lot of the same things. Um, mm-hmm. It really inspired me to start Minority Weekly, um, and that's why I have it as minority, to kind of be more inclusive and feel have people feel more welcome. Um, yes. more people who are not necessarily from a Hispanic background can relate to some of the posts um, that I make.
0: Yeah especially in the university, right? I think Black and Brown and different underserved students, LGBTQ, come together um, and really bond with each other because of these experiences. I feel like when I was an undergrad, that was what really spurted my relationships with other people. And it actually made me really vulnerable. Like, that's what I did want to say, that I think um, when people share these things online, they're being so vulnerable that... Um, you know, in everyday life, people can't be that vulnerable just with anyone, you know. Um, So it's honorable, too, that you're, you know, talking about these things and putting your own self out there and even your own, you know, struggles, because you're being quite vulnerable, you know. I try to be to make it a little bit more welcoming, I think
1: might be the word. Mm -hmm. I I feel like this like fake persona that I have on for Instagram. It's just like, no. yeah like you know I just want to share things that I'm passionate about sharing and things that I think
0: are important yeah and people relate to it obviously right yeah. because you're getting all this um feedback um and you've been doing collaborations like I saw you were doing one with um Latina sociologists so how has that been going like how has it been for you with the IG community, the response, the support?
1: Yeah, it's been really great. Um, That's probably one of my favorite things, um, having started Minority Weekly. Uh, Yeah, which was my next question, so go girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really cool to meet new people and like start making all these new connections and friendships in a way because I, I love everyone that I've met on social media. And I feel that collaborations that I've had so far have been super positive and I have not had any bad experiences. Um, oh, so and so good. Yeah. So like you said, I just recently um, collaborated with Latina sociologists and we talked on her page. We did an IG Live about yeah. 2020 through the sociologist perspective, which was really yeah. fun because I am a sociology major, like I said, but a lot of... Um, Academics that I see on Instagram are in psychology or other fields, and so I really liked connecting with Cristal from Latina Sociologist because I'm like I see another woman, in, a woman, another woman, <laughs> in, uh, yes, in sociology, and I think that's really cool, and I like that we have that in common, and she's super great.
0: Yeah, and I love her hair. She's always switching it up. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's part of also the discussion of being in the university, right? That people think you're not professional if you have bright colored hair or if you wear certain clothes, if you're not wearing a blazer, if you're not, you know, doing all these things. So it's also good to have those kinds of discussions where we as women of color are held at a different um, standard. And the standard is really aggressive and intense sometimes because so much is expected from us and so much is already assumed of us that we're trying to balance all that you know and yeah and I'm not in the field of sociology myself I am in the field of ethnic studies so in the you know um Chicano studies Native American studies that's the kind of Mm -hmm. stuff I teach um but I wouldn't want I would want you to share a little bit more about what do you see sociology doing to help you with your page maybe someone out there is in sociology and doesn't really know how to connect their own lived experiences or their concerns about their community with their discipline you know they have an idea Um, But maybe you have an idea, you know, you're about to graduate. So I'm not trying to pressure you to be like, what are you going to do next? Right? Um, That's a really, really tough question. And I don't want to give you anxiety during this interview or anything. (laughs) But if you could just, you know, envision yourself somewhere or what do you envision um, your, you know, field doing for people of color or what you want to do with it? um, Is that okay if you want to share a little bit of that? Yeah, for sure. Um, So as far as my page Minority Weekly, um, Mm
1: -hmm. I think the whole goal, well, the whole goal, I know know it's the whole goal, (laughs) (laughs) Um, is to build a community to make people of color uh, feel seen and feel validated and also to educate them because um, I was talking to Cristal, Latina sociologist, yesterday, we were just talking about this how sometimes we assume that people know more than they actually do. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel that through my area of study, like you said, I'm about to graduate. um, I know of a lot of resources and a lot of um, sociological concepts that I think have really helped me to put together my post and inform people on topics that I think are important but not everyone knows exactly what the term for a concept might be mm-hmm. or or how to articulate what they're trying to get across right um, so i think sociology uh studying sociology has definitely helped me through minority weekly as far as just um knowing how to communicate information about social issues about education because mm-hmm. yeah. i do think health, but mental health, my mental health posts really come from a more personal,
0: um, personal experience level. And Yes, and this is what I want you to share with people, you know, this isn't coming from you, although it is because we are in college and university, we do do research, we know how to do research, we do it all the time. Um, But also the fact that a lot of our posts, if not all of them, come from personal experience, and even wanting other people, other folks not to struggle or at least um, find the answers that they're looking for a bit faster than what maybe we did, you know? And sometimes we don't even find the answers till we're out of the university and we're like, damn, I wish I had known about that. You know, like you're talking about mental health. Um, I had anxiety and panic attacks on my undergrad, but I didn't know. And because I'm brown, I kept telling myself, oh, this is just because I'm first generation. Oh, this is because I am i don't have my parents. Oh, this is because my family isn't here, which is all true, but I needed help, right? And I was dry heaving in the bathroom a lot, and I was, like, really just not doing my work at the best Um Self that I could have been, and it wasn't until I got into my master's that um, actually my partner's family, who works in the you know medical industry, was like, "Hey, um, have you ever been told maybe you have anxiety um, and maybe panic attacks?" Because they saw me with my thesis freaking out, yeah. and. Um, then I got help. And then I was like, oh my God, if I had just had this when I was an undergrad, I would have done so much better. Um, But you don't know. And when you don't know, you just don't know. And you're not exposed to those things. And and even then, when we talk about the Latino community and mental health, right? Um, There is a taboo. There is a stigma in the taboo in the conversation of like saying, hey, I went to, you know, therapy or, you know, Or, hey, my therapist said this, it's already taboo. It's like, uh, what are you talking about? And then it's a stigma because if you do go, then all of a sudden you're the crazy in the family. And that's really not what mental health is, right? Um, You don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, pushed in the corner and and breaking down and having, like, the worst anxiety and panic attacks of your life to look for mental health, you know, for resources for a therapist or um, a counselor or something, you know, um, but, you, you know, we, our parents, for the most part, if they aren't going to therapy, we don't know about it, we don't know what it's for, and we don't know the advantages of it, and if anything, once we do, I, at least me, once I did start seeking therapy it's almost like that guilt, right? Like that we always get when we're, you know, people of color in the university, we feel like we get things that our communities just don't have access to. And one of those guilts for me is, you know, therapy that I feel like even my family, my mom, who comes from El Salvador from the war, deserves this kind of help, but just don't, are not open to it. They just don't understand it and they don't want to engage with it. And part of it is fear, right? To um, talk about the things that really um, bother you to do the things you want to do daily or whatever. And I think re-triggering someone is their fear, right? That they get re-triggered. But I think we need to be more careful or more caring with those conversations and say, hey, that doesn't happen all the time, you know? Or this isn't what um, it's about, you know? So. Can you like tell me a little bit more about like the advantages of these things? Because, you know, you are in the field and I'm sure you come across um, the research of people of color, Latinos um, in therapy or like the advantages of a- counseling, do you? I don't know. Maybe I'm making this up, but yeah. um, Can can you tell me a little bit more on that if you don't mind? Because of course, I'm telling you, I'm not from that field. I want to be clear with everyone. I'm not in that field. We do look at sociology. We have sociologies in our discipline. Uh, I mean, sociologists, right? But we also have, um, you know, we do come from theories from sociology as well um, because ethnic studies is still fairly new. So let's keep it real people of color have been going into sociology, anthropology, all these bigger disciplines for a long time and have been trying to put a mark in these disciplines, right? Yeah, of course. Um, so
1: as far as the importance of sharing all these different types of resources, um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to share what you know and not keep resources to yourself or information yes. that the community might not know about. Um, and that's tell them,
0: what- Jessica, tell them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what something that I'm very um, adamant about on my page is posting about mental health and talking about going to therapy and talking about um, different mental health issues. Because, yes, anxiety and depression is very prevalent and it's... Um, most common, but there's a lot of other mental health issues that people deal with, like eating disorders and things like that. So definitely important to share this information. Um, and especially, okay. It's kind of a fine line between, or I guess it's a fine line on Instagram, uh, between what you should be sharing and maybe not since I am not a therapist, I'm not a mental Mm -hmm. professional. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think it's important to share mental health information, mental health terms, um, how to find resources yeah. uh, on Instagram because sometimes that's the only exposure to mental health. Care. Exactly. Yes. 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 Earlier, our parents not really um, going to therapy or mm-hmm. really any type of help for mental health issues they might be going through. And I think for Many minority backgrounds, if not all minority backgrounds, not just a Latinx community, um, as first generation um, Americans, I guess you could say, we are the first to really explore these different types of resources that are available to us because our parents, maybe they're immigrants or they didn't have access to healthcare or access to a therapist or access to just information about what is mental health. Yeah. Because- I feel that at least in the Latinx community, a lot of people that I know, like in my circles, my family and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they don't talk about mental health and they're not very informed about mental health and right. what it is. And um, that's, that's not their fault. They just right. not exposed to it and not educated in that, um, mm-hmm. that type of topic. Um, and I think that very much comes from our culture and the stigma around mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that sharing information on Instagram is important because like I said, that might be the only exposure that people get to mental health resources or mental health information. And, Mm -hmm. um, like for me, this isn't exactly mental health, um, but in a way it, it can relate, um, When I saw a post for the first time, I believe it was from Brown Girl Trauma, it might be Brown Girl uh, Therapy, but um, she made a post about generational trauma and like explaining how trauma can be passed down through generations and how uh, our generation, per se, might not know how to deal with uh, different mental health issues because it was never dealt with in their parents' generation or their grandparents' generation. Um, yeah. So I feel that when I saw that post, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a term for that. Not, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like I, I had the idea, of course, because you experience yes. things like that.
0: Exactly. A, we know wow. it. We live it. We yeah. we we, we want to say it. And then when we find the concepts, we're like, yes, that's what it is. You know, and it's an yes. empowering moment because you finally get to name it. You it, know. Actually,
1: it was definitely very empowering for me to just find a term for these things that I've been living as a child of immigrants. Um, yeah. But you don't know the terms for it because it's not, you know, readily available to you at all times. Um, right. So going back to the mental health um, aspect of posting mental health information on Instagram, just like I go into it thinking someone might not know what these terms are exactly, and yet they'll read it and say that's what I've been experiencing, and then they can seek more information, maybe start therapy. So I think that's why it's important to share, um, especially mental health resources on Instagram, even though I may not be a mental health professional
0: per mm-hmm. se. I'm not a yeah,
1: therapist, you know, but just on, based on my experiences, um, I find that sharing these types of resources on on Instagram is can be very helpful and very impactful. Yeah. Um, but then going back to your other question about, um, I forgot what exactly you asked me, but something
0: I'm
1: <laughs> um, like something about mental health in the Latinx community. Yes, yes. Um, um. So, like I said, I'm about to wrap up my undergrad, so mm-hmm. I am currently in a senior seminar class, as you do when you're a senior. Um, Tell and them. For that, class, <laughs> for that class, we had to do a like senior capstone project. Um, okay. And you could pick whatever topic. So, my topic is Latinx college students and mental health. Uh, so, I sent out surveys and I interviewed students at Stan State and I did the whole thing a bunch of research, did my lit review. And I actually just presented on my um, senior capstone project yesterday. So I just finished off Yay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Can we hey. ask? Can we all want to know how did it go? Yeah. Okay. Well, the presentation went great. I yes. advised
0: myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is a small break in between episodes to let you know a little bit more about our sponsors. Is there drama? What comes next? What happened?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I kind of wanted to touch on kind of what I found through um, doing this research project. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really interesting because, like I said, I did do interviews. And my interviewees were, of course, Latinx college students. Um, And it was was very interesting, the conversations that I had and the similarities between all of the people that I interviewed. Because I would ask them, like. Do you feel supported by the Latinx community? Do you feel comfortable talking to family and friends about mental health concerns you might have? Wow. I asked them, like, do you go to therapy? If they felt comfortable answering, of course. Of
0: course.
1: Um, And like, do you know anyone who goes to therapy? If they said no, I tried to ask them, you know, what do you think your friends or family might say if you go to therapy? Yeah. so interesting because I got a lot of the same answers, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is of, what? Uh, I don't think they would approve. I think right. Would, uh, I probably I got um someone say that they just wouldn't tell their parents that they were going okay. for fear okay. of you know being being judged, judged. yeah, stigmatized, or what would a family think? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also through my survey that I did, um, I sent it out to quite a few people, um. And one of the questions on the survey, well, two of the questions, one being, um, do you go to therapy, and among other questions. And then the other question, would you consider going? And it was so interesting because about 90% of the respondents said, no, they don't go to therapy. And the same 90% said, yes,
0: they would consider going. Wow. And I was
1: like, oh, that kind of hurt my heart a little bit.
0: Yes. Isn't that crazy? When you are in a researcher, you start to see, you know, the not the trend or not like the things that happen, but they really are these consistent variables that keep moving in the same direction for each person you come across. And sometimes that's really heartbreaking because you're hopeful that the data won't reflect what you think you're gonna come up against, you know? And unfortunately, um, most of the time we know the truth that the data is gonna show most of the time when we look at these kinds of issues. Um, that we're not getting help or that we don't know where to get resources or we don't have them in our community, right? Sometimes there isn't even a therapist nearby or, or like a location to go to. You might have to travel. And these are all factors that are systemic, you know? And That's this true. is when we right. talk about um, systemic racism, right?
1: Yes. Um, and it's also just all the different barriers that there is to um, mental health care. And Mm -hmm. also, for our generation, for the most part, you know, we speak English. However, for our older generations, our parents, our grandparents, aunts and uncles, a language barrier is really a big um, factor that comes into play whenever they're, if they were to decide that, you know, maybe they should seek a therapist, well, what if they only speak Spanish and there's no therapist nearby who are bilingual? So I think a language barrier is a huge issue as well. As f- and also in therapy, um, again to remind everyone, I am not a mental health professional.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Remind uh-huh. people. Remind yeah, them. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm just playing with you because at the same time we are not mental health professionals, but you are a scholar, right? Like you are yeah. an academic, and you are coming from that discipline, and you should, you know, give yourself a little bit more credit because you, you spent all this time, I mean, on top of this research you already did, um, I'm sure you've read a bunch of stuff, right? Because that's what sure. it's about.
1: Sure. And
0: um, you have this knowledge, like you said at the beginning, you should not be keeping these resources to yourself, you should not keep the knowledge that you have to yourself. And you're doing just that, right? Like you're spreading the knowledge, you're disseminating the knowledge that is basically hidden back in the academic you know, in the academia or the university, it's like locked in into the library or into the departments. And technically our communities don't really get that information, unfortunately, even though the university likes to believe that they're doing all the work that they can do to make things better. um, After all these years, you know, after maybe even us being in the university, a bigger number since like maybe the 60s after the civil rights movements, um, we still don't see a huge connection between the community and the university right so that information is locked in you know Mm -hmm. unless we walk on that campus and we you know study there that knowledge ain't really coming out yeah and they like it like that because they like being the professionals they like being the knowledgeable all-knowing and sometimes that's like the worst attitude or approach to have because like you said then What are you doing then? Like, what are you, you're not spreading that knowledge. You're not helping people. You're just trying to like, you know, become the next, I don't know, right? Like the Leonardo DiCaprio of the college or something, right? Like the most progressive person and everything. But what are you really doing on the ground? Exactly. Our communities are still
1: marginalized and our people are still uninformed. Right. So, um, but going back to, um, I love that point, by the way. Yes! Um, what I was talking about earlier, the, um, I guess, barriers that there might be in order to um, get access to mental health care, yeah. uh, aside from the language barrier, the cultural, um, I don't want to say incompetence, but cultural insensitivity, maybe. Cultural <laughs> um, insensitivity on behalf of therapists who might mm-hmm. be and not understand our um, Collectivist um, cultures, being minorities, especially being yeah. Latinx, yes. uh and the different dynamics that there is within um, our families and our friend groups. And um, we have a very different perspective. The US is extremely individualistic and we're very yep. much activist. Yeah. We also, just our culture is different. The way we interact with our parents is different from, you know, White people, I guess. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think apart from just the language barrier that there might
0: be, um, yeah, there's a there's cultural there, barrier. There the other thing before you know we start to wrap up because i we I kept Jessica for a long time, and she's a busy <laughs> girl and she's a senior and she has a lot going on, guys. So I gotta give her her time and her space. But no worries. Um, What's the data showing in terms of Latino sociologists? Like, what is like the percentage right now? Do you know? Like, do we have a lot? Do you know? Are we still struggling with um, diversifying? You know, mental health. Like, is it still predominantly white? Um, I would say yes. We still have a lot of uh, work to do
1: as far as diversity, diversity, diversifying. Um, not only mental health but sociology. Yeah. Uh, Sociology yes. <laughs> uh, theory is very much uh, white male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, only very recently have we had people of color who are, you know, known theorists. Yes. Of course, we have those whose work is not recognized. Um, but I think um, as far as like current um, sociology students, I, I don't have an accurate number on that because okay. my university... Um, they love to call themselves a Hispanic-serving institution. Um, yes. I, I, do, I do see that in my classes, um, my sociology classes specifically. A lot yeah. of Latina women or yeah. you know, Latinx, we'll go with Latinx. Yes. Um, uh, women in my sociology classes. Um, I would say if I'm sitting in a classroom of
0: 30 people, probably 25 are Latinx women. Wow. And everybody, HSI is a Hispanic-serving institution. It means that the university itself has um, a high percentage of Latinx um, students. um, And that means that they get funding, money, resources for students specifically who identify as Latinx. And uh, I also have been to two particular schools who are HSI's as well. And sometimes it's a matter of where the university is, right? So I went to Cal State LA, so it was quite diverse. Um, and then we have UCSB, who's a Hispanic-serving institution, but I couldn't see it. You know, maybe because the school's so big. You know, <laughs> compared to Cal State LA, but um, it makes you, and it also makes you wonder where the hell that money's going because. I know this isn't the episode, nor the time, but I'm sure you would agree that there is not a lot of resources for us on these universities. And it's 2021. And yet they're getting funding and, and, you know, and we don't know where it's really going. And I feel like even in, you know, I was going to school in the early 2000s as an undergrad when budget cuts really started going nuts. And I remember one of our primary questions were, what are you gonna do with our resources? Are you gonna get rid of them because you just don't wanna fund things anymore, you know? And mm-hmm. understandably, right? You're getting budget cuts as a university, you gotta find somewhere to cut. But our main concern as people of color, as underserved community, coming from underserved communities, we know that we're the first ones to go. You know, we're the we're like the brunt of everything. Of so, um. Yes, HSI is good, and it's good that we have that going on, but I want to remind people, professionals out there listening, um, where is that money going? We still don't know. Yes, you are probably giving it to maybe the MCC, the multicultural centers that not all schools have, by the way, Mm -hmm. most schools. Um, or maybe the EOP program, the education opportunity program, or maybe they have a Latino mentoring program. But honestly, these people are working way too hard, way too hard. We need more people on campus helping these individuals because they're overworked. Let's keep it real. There is not enough on campus. I don't want people to assume that because we are a diverse university, that that means that the university is in is in con- conversation or or connected with us? Sometimes, yeah, it's predominantly brown, but we have no idea what the university is doing, and we have no idea what it has to offer us, even though we're we're all brown or we're all mostly brown, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really weird, right? Um, it is it's
1: interesting to see how that all plays out. Mm-hmm. Like, they love to call themselves a Hispanic serving institution.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh all- yeah. I mean, when you talk about like, you know, when you want to get these high school students, oh, they love bringing that up, you know. Oh, yeah. um, and then sometimes it's like a, a sham, an absolute sham. Like I said, uh, I also went to Humboldt State up north, and they said it was diverse there. And uh, I was in the middle of the redwood forest wondering, uh, did they mean trees? <laughs> Like, did they mean a diverse ecological <laughs> community? Because in that case, yes, you have so many mushrooms, so many trees, so many plants, so many, you know, all these. M- um, well, one last thing I do want you to give out. Of course. Um, is any scholars that you recommend in your field that people can check out, maybe people of color that are doing critical race theory in, you know, sociology. You have any you want to recommend?
1: I would definitely recommend Eduardo Bonilla Silva. Um,
0: yes, we meet him here too, girl. He is a legend in ethnic say, Chicano studies, you know. Absolutely. Legend, yes. That's the first person that comes to mind when you ask me that question. Um, yes.
1: I'm a huge fan. Um, he definitely, um, how would I, what's the word?
0: Um, I don't know if pioneered is the word, but possibly. But it is, um, but it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, guys we are pioneers a lot of the time in our fields you know even yeah. when uh, maybe brown folks are, or people of color have come through there we're still making groundbreaking research because unfortunately it's been so white oh absolutely yeah so mm-hmm. I would to check
1: out Eduardo Nia Silva and his theory of colorblind racism um yes the um, book I know it's not a person but um no that's fine please if you all have not read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander yes that book I think it that book gave me a whole new perspective not that I didn't mm-hmm. know were happening but I love right. it. writing is incredible and yes. I, I read that book for my social inequalities class and I will forever thank that professor for making us read it because <laughs> us, I, I probably wouldn't have read it you know I didn't know it was out there first of all yes. Uh, and it's not a super long book. You could totally read it for pleasure. It doesn't yes. for a class like I did, but I very mm-hmm. much enjoy it, um, and I very much want um, to share that with all of you.
0: Yes, that's a very powerful book. It definitely talks about the school-to-prison pipeline. It talks about the Jim Crow system, how Jim Crow and desegregation still exist, and how that has manifested, how the Remnants of those things are still exist. And if anything, something that I feel is an argument is that we might actually be more segregated now than we ever were before, which is uh, people can't accept that, you Absolutely. know, For and sure. yes, that comes with the history of redlining. So mm-hmm. um, if you don't know what redlining is, please research that. But um we also want to keep it real that um, we're being pushed still. And one of her major, major, major arguments is, of course, the prison system, which Angela Davis, you know, of course, has been talking about the prison industrial complex. If you want to read a small, small book about the prison industrial complex, read that one with by Angela Davis. Very small, very easy read. Um, but we've been having these conversations about how even from slavery to post-slavery, Um, the prison system has actually taken place of this horrible system that keeps primarily Black men, um, but there is research now coming out about Black women um, who get basically pinned in the prison system. And we all know from previous research like Angela Davis that the prison industrial system uh, the prison industrial complex is built on capitalism. There is money to be made. Um, one example I want to give currently is the children who come from the border who came to Long Beach um, and a hundred kids out of that bunch were redirected to Idaho to a prison to be held in detention centers. Now, Long Beach Convention Center had all the room for these children. Those hundred children did not need to be taken. Why would ICE, redirect a 100 children to a prison oh there's money to be made Where, who's gonna be make money at long beach convention no one no one is making money so if you're helping and you're not making money that's not, you know whatever what you know capitalism does not like that on top of that you want to criminalize these kids you want to traumatize these kids if you're going to take them to prison right and we've yeah. seen for years now including in the Obama era, I don't like to be um, tiptoeing around that, that there was a massive amount of deportations during the Obama era, higher than any other president. Okay, and so that meant we watched these kids in cages. That hasn't left, guys. If you remember these kids in cages um, wrapped in these like silver blankets, that has not left, if anything, They want to hang on to it. And that's what just happened in Long Beach. Right. And there is no help here, you know. And when we want to talk about how we can support our communities. Right. Part of it is, yes, abolish prisons. And now we're having the conversation around abolishing the police, which is so good to have these conversations it took so long for even us to even be able to express it publicly yeah because when we talk about you know the 60s and 70s when we talk about vietnam it was very frowned upon to say you were anti-war mexicans who you know latinos but primarily mexicans during the chicano moratorium that was the biggest and if you don't know about the chicano moratorium look up the history that was the biggest anti-war movement in the United States. It basically catapulted anti-war movement into the public sphere without it being shamed. And guess what? A sociologist, of course, was the one who broke it down that said, hey, a bunch of brown folks are getting sent to Vietnam at higher rates than white folks and we're dying. Right? And so people were like, why are we going to war? anti-war must happen. Right. And now we're in, you know, Black Lives Matter has catapulted the conversation around abolishing police, you know, because prior to BLM, I think people were really like scared to say it. Or even if you said it, people would be like, wow, you're weird or that's not cool. Or, you know, what, what the question always is, what's going to happen to the criminals? Yes. Same thing with the prison system. you always wondering what the hell is going to happen to these people, but you never humanize these people. Mm-hmm. You never humanize them, right? And I think in your field, you're, you're very critical about the fact that individuals are dehumanized, right, in these yeah, processes. Absolutely. And what that does to mental health and to their psyche and to their self-esteem so that when they do come out, what the fuck do you expect them to feel? Or, yeah. or their, their self-esteem, what did you expect? Did you expect them to come out feeling 1,000% amazing and like they could do anything? Absolutely not. That is not what these programs in um, the prisons are. If you think that they're going in there and getting reformed or whatever in the most amazing, powerful, empowering way, you're absolutely fucking wrong. And you need to change your mind. And you need to see that we can build a better system, society, without relying on these old white, systems right as white racist dehumanizing and it really fucking kills our people guys like it kills our people how many people died in the prison system due to covid nobody wants to talk about that nobody wants to talk about that cuz y'all want to forget about people in prison and y'all should be ashamed of yourselves because that should have been a priority for us in california how do we protect our prisoners right and there was people doing that work i'm not even trying to hate and say nobody cared but yeah. I'm also saying there was no state response overtly, publicly saying, hey, how are we going to protect them? Why? Because people are not going to respect that approach, you know? Correct. Um, anyway, girl, we could be here forever. Last thing I do <laughs> want you to say, because, you know, again, I'm like, I need to let her go, but let me keep her here because she's so much fun. No, no uh, worries. I
1: love all the information that you shared. Thank you for putting that out there. I think uh, not a lot you of people too. talk about it and not a lot yeah. of people hear about these topics you know and yes. I, us as scholars you in ethnic studies and me in sociology we talk mm-hmm. about
0: this in on
1: the our but you know not everyone does so I think mm-hmm. it's very cool pointed that out
0: thank you well the last thing I will ask you is do you want to add anything that we haven't touched upon because you're probably like we touched everything I have no freaking clue what we didn't miss, you know what we missed. <laughs> But is there anything you want to say to people before we cut this interview? Um, well, first of all, uh, a couple things. But first, um,
1: I wanted to share with everyone um, the Compassion Collective. You can find them on Instagram at underscore the Compassion Collective. And um, it was actually started by Cristal, from Latina Sociologist, mm-hmm. and a colleague of hers, Claudia. Um mm-hmm. I know that recently... They've had a book drive and also a toy drive to um, donate to migrant children who are being held at the Long Beach Convention Center. Um, Yes. So if everyone could check that out, that would be great. I know the book drive is now closed. Um, They will be delivering the books very soon. I'm not sure. Let me check. I'm not sure if the toy drive is closed, but if it is, I'm sure that they will continue doing projects like this. I guess the last thing for me would be to plug my page once again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. If you want to be part of the Minority community, you can find me on Instagram at minority_weekly. underscore weekly. Um, I post all sorts of things about education, mental health, social issues and personal growth. Um, one of my top posts um, currently is um, how to be an ally for marginalized groups. I also have yeah. a- of, um, four ways to invest in your personal growth. And of yes. course, you know, my little, I was going to say TikToks, my little reels. And- yes, they're awesome. I love them. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my ITVs are kind of on pause right now because I am crazy busy trying to wrap up the semester. Yes, uh, but understandable. Yeah, they will be coming back soon, hopefully. Um, yes. and also, if you or a friend, a family member is involved in the community doing something for a uh, your community, or really anything that you'd like to highlight about them, Um, I have a link in my bio and you can fill out a Google form to be featured
0: on Minority Weekly. And my features are, you know, pretty popular. I see them. Yes, they're (laughs) popping. They're popping, guys. You want to be on there. Maybe I'll go feature myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jessica, for being here today. Um, We all want to wish you a good graduation. Congratulations. I don't know what you plan to do in the future but just know that you're going to be amazing at it whatever Thank it is so
1: much. and I appreciate yes. you having me on today
0: Oh no worries! Like I couldn't have thought of somebody better. It was one of the first people I oh. actually thought of, because um again like we're still fairly new ourselves. We started in at the end of January, beginning of February as well. Yeah. So I swear to God that we started right at the same time.
1: Yeah, um, and. I- been following intersectional combos since like minority weekly started so
0: yeah so we both followed each other yeah. at the beginning of our projects and look at yeah, it, it now crazy. right um yeah so i definitely when i was thinking oh i want to interview you know people who are offering resources on instagram you were one of the first people. I was like, oh my God, yes, Minority Weekly is definitely coming on because not only am I a fan and I love your page, but you're also our, one of our biggest supporters. Like, you know, you're always liking our stuff. You're always writing, you know, and you're always so supportive. So um, those are the things that really call out to people. So if you're out there trying to expose your page or, or trying to get people to listen, maybe to your podcast, just know that all you got to do is engage with people, Just show yourself, show that you're enjoying their pages, their content. Um, That's really how I noticed Jessica, right? Um, On top of following her and looking at her videos, when she would like our stuff, I'd be like, oh my gosh, she's looking at our stuff, you know? (laughs) And it's so exciting. Um, So please, please, please go show support, show support to your, you know, fellow women of color creating content, you know, because um, there's not a lot. We're working hard. I feel like me and Jessica are working hard to offer content that is valuable, resourceful, important, empowering, um, loving, um, that's just beyond what you are used to in the social media platform of dead world right where people just scroll like in a like, zombie mode you know um we want you to stop we want you to read we want you to take care of yourself so hopefully we're stopping your scrolls and we're you know reaching you guys so check jessica out and so again at this is the end of the episode so i'm gonna plug in the magazine you already know jessica already plugged herself in but i'm gonna plug her again because you might have missed <laughs> it <laughs> So you can check out the magazine at LatinaChicaSpeaksMagazine Subscribe to our magazine um, email list. You will get uh, notifications when new content is posted on our website. Follow us on Instagram. The magazine's at Speaks Magazine. Um, follow our pod at latinachicaspeakspod. Pod. Um, also follow us on Twitter at LatinaChica One. Our email is latinachicaspeaks at gmail.com. I mean, guys, you can find me anywhere and you can also contact me anywhere, even on the website. Uh, We have various platforms that we're running all of our podcasts on. Um, So if this is maybe a platform you're not used to, go check out our website, hit podcast, and it will show you about seven platforms we're on. So hopefully, hopefully, one of those is the one you like. Um, check out our podcast, <laughs> on Instagram page at Intersectional Convos, our Twitter at Intersect Convos. Um, you can also email us to intersectionalconvos at gmail.com. And Jessica, one last time, where can they find you? you can find
1: me on Minority Weekly um, on Instagram at Minority, T-E-A underscore weekly. Um, and if you'd like to email me for, you know, whatever reason you may choose. <laughs> um, yes! Just for advice, just for support, just to tell Jessica, hooray, you're going to graduate. Please send her those (laughs) awesome emails. Yay! um, Jess Chavez 99 is my email and feel free to DM Minority Weekly as well. At Gmail, right? Yes,
0: at Gmail. (laughs) Okay. Um, Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please like, follow, and share. You can also donate to our podcast now with our link in our description or the link on our website at the top where it says donate. We have uh, various forms that you can donate through PayPal, through um, Stripe. You can also um, do monthly donations. We are struggling to keep ourselves up with digital content because we are uh, working class people who primarily our students, some of us, some of us just graduated, some of us are in transition, Um, so we have no income, guys, so this is all coming at you from whatever you guys have donated to us, so thank you so much, we hope to continue to make a quality stuff, and maybe some quality audio, right now, um, we are asking people to donate money for mics, for soundboards, for even um, backgrounds, for us to do more content. We want to be just like Jessica. We want to start doing reels and start doing (laughs) IGTVs, Um, but we want to do things like photo shoots as well, Um, and a green screen would be so much fun to own, so if you guys want to help us create more fun content, please, please consider donating to us. We also have an Amazon wish list. I know like A lot of people like to see what it is and they like to send it. So if you want to surprise us with the exact things we're actually interested in, check that out. And again, thank you so much for supporting us. Your support really keeps us going. If you guys weren't following us or listening, I don't think we'd still be here. Um, So if you want to keep hearing us and you want to see more stuff, we want to expand. We want to do even YouTubes. please help us by donating so we can get the right equipment to start doing some quality stuff. Um, and I hope Jessica that this episode was fun and maybe you can come back. I don't know. Cause I feel like I had way too much fun with you. I don't know if you were down to come back or maybe we can do an IGTV on your, on your side, you know?
1: Oh, um, this is the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. You heard it here guys. Jessica's going to call me sometime. I'm going to be on IGTV. I- Thank you again, Jessica, for being here. Please check her out. Thank you so much for
1: having me. This was super fun.
0: Yes. And this is where we say goodbye. So thank you, everyone, for listening. See you. Bye, everyone. Bye.